0: Hey, I want to say one more thing about camp before we jump into our messages this morning. Uh, Tom and Karen don't run it by themselves. We send, how many campers this year are we hoping for, Tom? 64. We're hoping for 64 campers. 64 kids. And that takes a whole army of adults. Um, people who are willing to do things ahead of time. People who are willing to help out behind the scenes. People who are willing to give up a week and go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus at camp. Um, if If that's something that God may be calling you to, if you have even an inkling that he may be tugging on your heart, uh, consider being a part of this ministry. It is so fun to be a part of a story where God is working and you get to be, you will, you will be more blessed than you are a blessing. It's an amazing thing that God does. And so um, no matter what your commitment level can be, energy level, um, level of fear or anxiety, talk to him at the table back there, be involved with this ministry. And then one other thing, for 15 years, our church has fully funded this camp. Every camper goes uh, for $15, and it's $350 to send a kid to camp for a week. And so every year for 15 years, this church has fully uh, funded this ministry. And I want to encourage you again this year. We don't ask you to do this very often, um, but be real generous and give above and beyond. We're going to take a second offering today on your way out. All of that money will go to support Royal Family Kids Camp and send these kids that have had really, really hard lives off to a week of experiencing the love of Jesus. So um, we'll remind Mind you about that at the end of service, but be praying about it and thinking about how you can be involved, how you can support it. All right? Yes? Yeah. Yes. Good. All right. Let's jump into our sermon today. Uh, let's get to it. We're going to jump right in. Luke chapter 13. If you have a Bible, pull it out. Turn to Luke 13. If you didn't bring yours, we have one for you, for you in the pew rack in front of you or under your seat if you're in the front row. And our Bibles were on page 8. 47 this morning. And as you turn, uh, let me remind you of this. We are in the middle of a series in the Gospel of Luke called The Journey. And in this series, we've been kind of traveling along with Jesus in this Gospel as He moves from town to town, teaching and talking about the Kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about this dome where God is king, the king's dome. This dome under which this sphere, this existence, this reality where everything is the way God wants it to be. And what Jesus says is that the king's dome, this reality, this sphere has come to earth through him. We're told in the Bible that someday everything will be under the king's dome. Everything will be fully enwrapped in the kingdom of god everything and everyone will be 100 percent perfectly just the way god intends them to be we call this place this sphere of existence what Heaven. We call it heaven. Someday heaven will come to earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everything and everyone will be just the way God wants it to be. The kingdom will be fully here, fully realized. It's going to be a great and glorious day. But here's what Jesus says. He tells us this. If we want to follow him... If we want to be a Christ follower, it's not just about waiting for heaven. It's about living in and experiencing and advancing the kingdom, the dome in which God is king, here and now. It's about saying, hey, this is how God wants things to be. How he wants things to be in me and how he wants things to be in the world. And I get to be a part of growing that kingdom. In other words, here's what Jesus tells us. You can be a person whose life reflects the kind of life God desires. You can be a person who brings the kingdom of God, the light of God, into the sinful, fallen, broken world today. Through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be a kingdom bringer. And again, Jesus is teaching us, what does it look like? What does it mean to live in the kingdom? What does it look like to advance the kingdom? What does it look like to take our own little personal kingdoms, our little spheres of influence and power, and submit them to his kingdom? How do we walk in the kingdom? How do we follow Jesus? Jesus is teaching us about these things. And today, we're going to learn about how, as followers of Jesus, our lives should be impacted by power. What does power look like in the kingdom? How do kingdom bringers and Jesus followers submit to and follow the power of God instead of the power of this world? In fact, the title of this message is Jesus versus the powers of this world. And the question that I want to ask all of us to ask ourselves today is this question. Is my life guided, directed, influenced more by the powers of this world Or by the power of God? Is my life guided, directed, influenced more by the powers of this world or by the power of God? And this morning in this passage, we're going to see those two powers pitted against one another, contrasted and compared real closely with each other. And we're going to ask ourselves this question. Am I living for the world or am I living by the power of Jesus as a follower of his? All right? Here we go, let's dive in. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 31, just five verses today. At that time, Luke writes, and the time is this, the time is when Jesus is traveling and talking and teaching about the kingdom of God. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied... Go tell that fox I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, right at the beginning of our passage today, as we dive into this um, intense, fun, confusing passage. We find out some news. We find out that Jesus is facing some, op- some opposition. There's resistance. There's, re- there's threat coming at Jesus from this guy named Herod. Luke writes, Herod wants to kill you. He wants to take you down. He wants to end your life. And what we'll come to see is this. Herod is a wonderful representation of what worldly power looks like. So who is this Herod? Well, let's find out. Let's go back to when Jesus was born. Do we remember this moment? Christmas, Jesus born, swaddling clothes, the manger, the star, the wise men, the whole deal, right? Jesus is born where? Does anyone remember? He's born in Bethlehem. Yeah, he's born in kind of the south part of the nation of Israel. And at that time, the whole region of the nation of Israel, right there on the screen, you can see it. The whole nation um, of Israel is ruled by this guy named King Herod or Herod the Great. Now, Herod was this crazy, sinister, psycho ruler. He had tons of people killed. He was majorly paranoid that someone was always after his throne, and so he's constantly executing people over and over and over again. And if you remember the story, he actually tries to have baby Jesus killed when he's a baby, doesn't he? He's threatened, he goes after baby Jesus, he has all the kids, like two years old and younger, in Bethlehem killed, and Mary and Joseph escape, just barely, just in the nick of time with Jesus, and they flee to Egypt in order to save Jesus' life. Now, they're not there very long when Herod dies. King Herod, Herod the Great, dies when Jesus is just a kid. But this is where um, the story gets important for us in our passage today. When Herod dies, three of his sons travel to Rome to see Caesar. Now, why do they do this? Why do these three boys go to Rome to talk to Caesar? Why do you think? Yeah, they go there because they want to inherit dad's territory. They want to be the next rulers. They want to be the next Roman-appointed rulers of Israel. They go there in order to to jockey and plea and sort of bargain for as much power as they can possibly get. You see, worldly power, friends, and it's the first thing we learn about it, is always trying to amass more for self. Worldly power is all about this. How can I get and protect more for me? More of whatever I need, more of whatever I deem valuable. How can I get and protect more for me? And one of the ways, if you're honest, if you want to be honest, if you're brave enough to be honest today, one of the things about your life, an indicator that it might be being guided by worldly power is this. Ask yourself this question. Is my life... Primarily concerned, focused on getting more for me? Do I spend my time, my energy, my thoughts, my resources trying to get more for me, more money for me, more friends for me, more likes for me on Facebook, more accolades, more accomplishments, more status, more stuff, more worldly security? Is your life primarily about accumulating and adding to your personal kingdom? Because that's what Herod's sons are after. And here's what Caesar decides. Caesar says... I'm actually going to split up the power. I'm going to split up the territory of Herod the Great, King Herod, between the three of you. And you can see here how it goes. Son number one, Herod Archelaus, he gets the green area down in the south, he primarily gets Judea. Son number two is Philip, he gets the orange portion up there in the northeast. And son number three, Herod Antipas, he gets the two purple parts. And this is the son, the son number three, Herod Antipas, that is the character in our passage today, the one that's threatening to kill Jesus, the one we just read about. That's him, Herod Antipas. Purple Herod, right there. And the reason that Herod's after Jesus, the reason he's a threat to Jesus is that Jesus, even though he was born in Bethlehem, he's born in the south, when he comes back from Egypt, his parents actually move north. North. And they raise him up in this region called Galilee, that, that northern purple region. And they raise him in a little town called what? Nazareth. Nazareth, right? And so this is Jesus' stomping grounds. He grows up in this territory ruled now by Herod Antipas. And there's a whole lot, there are a whole lot of layers behind why Herod feels threatened by Jesus. But at the very center of it is this. Jesus is becoming very popular. He has this this growing following that is just multiplying every single day. And the people are beginning to ask. The people are beginning to question. The people are beginning to wonder, is he the Messiah? Is he the chosen one of God? Is he the one who's going to bring God's kingdom? Is he the one who will come and regain political independence for Israel from Rome? You see, the very existence of Jesus is a threat to Herod's power. And so what does Herod do? What does Herod do in the face of Jesus' rising popularity? He pushes back. He tries to intimidate. He tries to advance. He tries to coax and move Jesus away from following God's plan and God's path for his life. Friends, understand this truth. Understand this reality. If you do, it will make your life following Jesus so much clearer. Anytime, every time the kingdom of God starts to move, starts to grow, starts to expand in you, in this world, anytime the kingdom of God starts to move forward here on earth, there are little kingdoms down here that start to get threatened. And when they get threatened, they always push back. This is why there will always be opposition if you really decide to follow Jesus. There is no such thing as opposition-free Jesus following in this sinful, fallen, broken world. There will always, anytime you follow him, be risk. There will always be fear. There will always be forces in this world that will seek to coax and lure and intimidate and scare you into not living the life and following the path that God wants you to take. There will always be this pull. So the question for us today, amidst all that history, amidst all that's going on, how does that relate to you? Here's the question. Make this real practical. Who or what is your Herod? Who or what acts as a Herod in your life? Who is the person Who are the people? What are the forces? What are the fears? What are the doubts and concerns that are trying to keep you from fully, fully following God and His plan and path for for your life? What are those things? Is it the fear of what others will think? Is it the fear of missing out? Of not being able to enjoy or partake in something that this world has to offer? Is it the fear of not being accepted? That people, if you're fully sold out for Jesus, if you're really following God, that people will laugh at you, they'll reject you? Is it some sin? Is it some desire that you're holding on to that you know God will not approve of? Is it, is it this lie that we buy into here in America? The lie and lure of materialism. The lie that says... You know, make your life about getting and acquiring things in this world. And then if you get enough, if you accomplish enough, if you achieve enough, you'll find pleasure and peace and satisfaction and joy. What in this world is trying to force you off of the path that God wants your life to go down? Friends, name that. Get clear on that, identify that, because every single one in this room is tempted, is pulled by something, myself included, maybe multiple things. Know what those things are, be clear about those things, identify those things, because what Luke is telling us here is that the powers of this world will never stop. They will always do whatever they can do to try to pull you away from following God. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Get off this path, Jesus. Don't go and do what God wants you to do, because if you do, there are going to be some dire consequences. It ain't going to be good. But listen to how Jesus responds. Listen to the courage and determination of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why I love him. He replied, Jesus replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day. I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus' response is, Go tell that fox. Fox. And when we think of a fox, when we call someone a fox, when we use that to describe um, the personality or characteristics of a person, what are we mostly referring to? Someone who's a fox is someone who's what? Yeah, cunning, crafty, sly, sneaky, mischievous, right? If you're around young kids, it's like the image of Swiper from, from Dora the Explorer, right? Right? I know, last week we did Winnie the Pooh, this week it's Dora. We're going kid-friendly. For those of you who don't know, if you don't know Dora, she's this young cartoon girl, and her and her friends, they go on these adventures, and as they go, as they try and kind of accomplish these missions, this sneaky little masked fox named Swiper, he will show up occasionally, and he will try to steal their stuff. And they have to ward him off very bravely, with hands extended, and the powerful words that go like this. Say it with me. Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. It's that last emphasis part that really scares him. And so he leaves and says, oh man, he's out of there, right? Have you seen this show? I'm so sorry. I've seen it too many times. Anyway, back to the point. The point is this. A fox in our world symbolizes someone that's crafty and sly and sneaky. But in Jesus' day, this image went a little farther than this. You see, in Jesus' day, when you talked about a fox, everyone assumed that you were automatically comparing a fox with a lion. That's what they would do. They would compare foxes with lions. You see, where a lion was mighty and majestic and the king of the jungle... A fox was weak and mangy and altogether wimpy. And the idea was that a fox was just kind of a lion wannabe, kind of a fake, kind of a poser. In Jesus' day, there was actually this saying that the rabbis used to say. They would say this, It's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. This is kind of a common phrase. It's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. In fact, how this would go is that after a lion would make a kill, after that lion would eat all that they wanted and move away, the fox would typically sneak up and try to steal some leftover extra food from the carcass. And he would stand there and he would eat and he would pretend that he had made the kill himself. Just kind of a poser, just kind of a a pretender, just kind of a fake. So do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying this. He's saying, Herod, you don't scare me. Your threats, your intimidation, your scare tactics, they don't scare me. Why? You're just a fox. You don't have the real power. You're just a poser. You're just a pretender. You're just a cheap imitation of the power that's truly available to me, and that's the power of the lion, the lion of Judah, the Lord of Israel, the God of heaven and earth. That's who Jesus knows. That's where Jesus' power comes from. The fox doesn't scare him one bit. Friends, hear this today if you don't hear anything else. If you do not want to be pushed around by the forces and powers of this world, you must know what Jesus knew. And that's where the real power comes from. You see, if you don't know who the lion is... If you've never met the lion, if the lion's not on your side, then a fox can be real scary. A fox can actually be quite convincing. If you don't understand that real meaning and purpose and satisfaction and joy and hope and peace and life are found in following God and living for Him, then you will be pushed around and and lured in by every other convincing force and promise that comes your way in this world. The promise of success. Ooh. The promise of acceptance. The promise of romance. The promise of wealth, or pleasure, or recognition, or status, or acclaim, or popularity. If you don't know what real satisfaction is, if you don't know the lion of God, if you don't know the power of God, then those things will be extremely alluring to you. You see, there are so many paths this world will offer you to pull you off of God's plan and path for your life. But Jesus says this, Be not fooled. Be not fooled. Those are just empty promises. Those are just imitation promises. Those are just dead end roads. Do you see in this passage how Jesus just absolutely refuses to be lured away from God's plan for his life? He says, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. I will press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. You see what he's doing here? What he's doing is he's describing his life. He's he's stating his ministry and his calling from God. And here's what he's saying He's saying, Herod, forget about it. I'm going to follow the lion. I'm not going to be intimidated or fooled or lured off track by you or anyone else in this world. I'm going to be, I'm going to be who God's called me to be. I'm going to go where God's called me to go. And I am going to do everything that God has called me to do, even if that means giving my life in Jerusalem. Do you hear the resolve in his voice? Nothing you can say or do. Is going to dissuade me from that, Herod, because you're just a fox. You're just a cheap imitation of the real, authentic, genuine power available to me in my Father. See, friends, while the powers of this world will seek to lure you towards getting more for self, the power of God will call you to give more of self for others. You want to know what power you're living for. Do you know what, want, want to discover what power is influencing the path that your life is on? Hear this. While the powers of this world will lure you towards getting more for self, the power of God will call you to give more of self for others. That's who our God is. That's who our Jesus is. You know, sometimes I think we're tempted to think about sin we're tempted to think about like being off of God's plan or off of God's path, and we think about sin. We think about these list, lists of things that we should or should not do, mostly the things that we should not do, right? But that's not how the Bible talks about sin. The Bible talks about, the, talks about sin in terms of missing the mark. Missing the path, not being on the right road, the the road that God wants your life to be on. It's not just about, don't do this and do this. It's about, here's the kind of life I long for you to live. Now live it. Walk this road. Walk this path. Hit this mark. And if you don't, that's sin. And what we find in the Bible, by the way, is this. Jesus doesn't just sit back and go, man, you're off the mark again, Dave. Dave. You're the worst Christian, you're the worst pastor ever, right? No, that's not our God. Actually, what we find time and time again in the scriptures is that when people miss the mark, when they find themselves off the path, we find that the heart of God breaks for those people because God knows what we're missing out on. He knows what we're giving up when we choose a path other than the path that he has for us. This is why Jesus responds the way he does. Verse 34, he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and that repetition is a way of communicating The the deep and utter anguish and emotion and pain and regret and sorrow that Jesus is feeling here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Friends, have you ever watched someone, someone you loved and cared about, take the wrong path in life? Maybe you've even told them, they've been told, they've been asked, they've been warned, they've been begged or even pleaded with, this is not the way God wants you to go. And yet they just insist on going down the wrong road. That's the position Jesus finds himself in here as he looks at his people and he is heartbroken over it. I haven't had this experience with too many folks, but I've had it in a little way, in some small ways. In fact, um, a few months ago, I was out front riding bikes with my six-year-old son and um, he'd been given a balance bike by some friends and so we were out kind of doing this balance bike and he'd been practicing and he was getting pretty good and there's this day he said dad come out and see how good I am on the balance bike and if you don't know what a balance bike is it's just a little bike without pedals so you can kind of push yourself along and you pull your feet up and you can get used to, to balancing and so we were doing the balance bike on our street and there's this hill on our street and so we would go up the hill a little bit and we'd kind of coast down and then the next time we'd go up a little bit farther and then we'd coast down and we'd go up and we'd coast down and he was really proud of himself and I was on my, my long skateboard, and he was on his balance bike, and we're having this great father-son moment, and then this one time came, and we went up a little too high on the hill, because he wanted to, I'm not a bad father, it was his call, I was right there supervising, and we go up, and I said, are you sure you can do this high, bud? He was pretty confident, he had been doing really well, and so I was feeling good about it, and then he took off, and I was right behind him, and we were kind of cruising down together, and I'm watching him, and all of a sudden, he starts to wobble. And I'm like, get it together, bud. And he starts to whirve. And the wobbles get worse and worse until finally I watch him right in front of me go right over the handlebars. And he lands, like, no lie, right on his face on the pavement. Like face first. You've never seen anyone face first on the concrete like this. And I thought, that's it. This is the moment, like, I lose my kid and they come take him away. Like, this, this is going to be really bad. And, and by the grace of God, he, I don't know how it happened, he came out, for the most part, unscathed. If you see him in the lobby, he's missing his two front teeth. That did not happen in this moment. That was a completely separate incident, not this moment. But it was just one of these helpless, you know those moments where it feels like it's slow-mo, like the world slows down and you're like, no, and I can't save you. And there he goes, right? I imagine that's how Jesus feels when he watches us just take a left turn or get off the path. He so longs for us to get it right, and yet... We continue to choose the wrong way. Friends, maybe you've watched someone's life start to whirve and swerve. You've watched them get on the wrong path and lose their balance. Jesus, in this passage, he's talking to the Jewish people. He's talking to the nation of Israel. and He's saying, so many times throughout history, over and over again, the prophets have come to you. These messengers from God have come to you with this message. Turn back and follow God. Rely on His power and follow His path instead of seeking out worldly power and success. And time and time again, that not only reject God's offer, they kill the messenger. And again, friends, Luke records this story to offer us the same warning. He says, be warned about this. When you are being tempted, when you are being intimidated, lured, coerced, fooled, tricked, convinced into following a path... Or plan for your life other than following Jesus? A path that's focused on gaining more for self than giving self for others? Ask yourself this question, he says. Ask yourself this question about what you are tempted to pursue. Does it, this thing that you're pursuing, this thing that you're giving your life to, this power that you're letting drive you, does it have the real power to give your life meaning Purpose, satisfaction, hope, joy, and peace for the long haul? Will this thing that I'm tempted to follow instead of Jesus, will this life I'm tempted to live instead of living for God, will it really form me, shape me, challenge me, mold me into all that I was created to be? Or in the end, will it turn out to be an imposter, a fake, a liar, a fox? A pretender that did not ultimately have the power it promised to have initially. Jesus says, your house will be left to you desolate. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's talking to Jerusalem. And when he says this, he he means it very literally. He knows what will happen to this city. He knows what will happen to this people who continue to seek worldly success and power instead of God's path and plan for their lives because at some point down the road in the near future, the Romans are going to get sick of it and they are get fed up and they come down and they annihilate this place. They leave no stone on top of another. They completely crush it. The body count is unfathomable. It's amazing, friends. And Jesus knows this is coming. coming. But friends, he also knows this. He also knows how destructive this very same path is for the human soul as well. He knows that the path of seeking worldly power and living to acquire more and more will never lead to the rich, full, satisfied life that God longs for you to have, but will ultimately leave your heart desolate, empty, alone, alone and unsatisfied and so jesus because he loves us so much he offers us another way you know what's amazing about this this passage uh, jesus chooses a fox to characterize herod he says herod's kind of like a fox and when we understand what he's saying that makes a lot of sense it's not real surprising but what is surprising is the animal he picks to represent himself what animal is it a hen We're talking about power here, right? This is a a passage about power, and he says, I'm kind of like a hen. (laughs) That's kind of a weird choice. Jesus, I'm not sure what you're thinking. You know, I was thinking this week, um, there are a lot of animals God could have picked from, and he chooses a hen, not the best choice. Not a whole lot of hen football mascots out there in the world are there. The fighting hens, the mighty chickens. Like, no, you don't hear that. Although in our state, we do have the ducks. So, I don't know. Intimidating. Woo. Um, don't, I lost half the crowd now. But listen to what Jesus is doing here when he refers to himself as a hen, because it is beautiful. When a fox breaks into the hen house, here's the truth. The mother hen does not have many weapons, not much violence with which to fight back. She does not have claws to scratch with. She has no teeth to gouge with. What does a mother hen do to protect her children when a fox comes? She does the only thing she can do. She gathers her children around her, under her wings, and she uses her own body as a shield. The only thing a hen can do to save her children from a fox is die for them. And that's exactly what Jesus does. You see, the world will tell you, friends, there's only one way to win in this place. There's only one road to happiness. There's only one way to get ahead in this life. And that's by being a fox. By using all your gifts and talents and abilities and resources. By leveraging every single ounce of power and influence you have to get ahead in this world. To gain more status and privilege and position and stuff for yourself. But Jesus says, in the end, that way leads to nothing. It leads to desolation. It leads to emptiness. Instead, he says, trust me. Follow me. Trust who I am. Trust in and follow the path that I've walked and modeled for you. Because even though it may seem crazy, because even though it may seem like a hen doesn't have much chance against a, against a fox, there is in fact a day. A day when a hen does defeat a fox. And that day's the third day. Because the third day, that's a kingdom day the third day that's God's day the third day that's resurrection day the third day that's the day when even death the most menacing of all forces in this world could not contain the power of God found in Jesus Christ our Lord have you put your hope your faith your life your trust in the hands of the God of the third day is your life lived under his authority and power so which is it? Are you living the fox life or the hen life? Does the power that drives you look like a power that's scraping and, and and scrounging for everything you can get to add to your own kingdom? Or does it look like a life that says, I will give all that I have and all that I am to advance His kingdom and to bring those around me who are unprotected and unpowerful underneath the care of the Almighty God. What kind of life are you living? Here's the good news. Here's the great news. Here's the gospel. Jesus says, you can come be one of my chicks for free. You don't have to earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to get a ticket. All you have to do is receive my free invitation to come be one of my chicks, to come be one who relies on the hen, to come be one who, like me, follows my path and gives their life for the advancement of God's kingdom in this world. Friends, it's the path that leads to hope. It's the path that leads to peace. It's the path that leads to security. It's the path that leads to deep internal joy. It's not an easy path. It's a hard path. It's a difficult path. But it's the path of God. It's the path that has God's power behind it. So maybe this morning, you've got a fox in your life. Maybe it's a big fox. Maybe you're realizing that really your life, the sum total of your life, your whole life is really lived as a fox. You are really and honestly, truly just trying to amass more for yourself. And maybe today you need to switch paths. You need to switch masters. And you're realizing that that fox, that fox is a poser. He's a fake. He's a scoundrel. And you need to get your life on board with following the hen. Or maybe today you are following the hen but there are some places where you've gotten off track. There's some little foxes that have crept in and you need to surrender some things to God again. Friends, this morning we're going to come to the table and we're going to celebrate this meal. The meal of Holy Communion. The meal where we remember where our security where our safety, where our hope comes from. It's the meal where we remember what path we're on, the path following Jesus, the path following the one who gave his life, whose body was broken, and his blood was shed for you and me. So spend a few minutes. Think about your life, the path you're on, who you're following, what your Herods are. And when you're ready, come to the tables. Take the bread, take the cup. Bring them back to your seat, and in just a few minutes, we're going to receive the elements all together. So take a few minutes, and when you're ready, the tables are open.